0: number nine we are in uncertain times right now i first of all want to thank all my previous guests who've been on to help support the show i hope everyone's staying well we're really at a strange time in our history and uh i hope all of you are staying well and really trying to keep a positive attitude despite this very scary and unsure time um I hope we're connecting with family, and that's one thing I've been trying to do with staying home and finding out the small things that uh, keep us uh, together and actually finding out about each other. Uh, I mean, that's some of the things I think that we could all be doing by working out or eating better and hopefully through self-improvement. And in that case, I've been really focusing on learning more about light and Different ways I could use it, and even simple setups, and even reviewing my old work and seeing where I could improve. I also think I'm. <laughs> I've also uh, taken time to actually read the manuals, to thoroughly understand uh, all the gear and make sure I'm utilizing it properly. So that's that's another thing that I think uh, can just improve my overall um, efficiency, uh, and and also kind of discover new ways of of improving pre-production production production, as well as post-production you know as far as pre-production um uh, learning to put together a better pitch deck and 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 kind of just being better prepared when i'm going into these shoots so that uh during production it becomes more or less uh plug and play or i can actually spend more time uh doing the creative uh aspects rather than worrying about uh, so much of the technical which are are going to come up anyway right um I just think that's just part of part of doing it. And, and all that kind of ties into uh, post-production and that leads us to our next guest, Jeffrey Hagerman, who's an onset colorist. And, uh, I think you're going to find his, um, interview very interesting. He's a very technical as well as a creative onset colorist. And I certainly have learned a lot and, uh, I hope you do as well. Jeffrey, uh, Let me know, uh, first of all, introduce yourself and tell me uh, um, what your role is in the film world.
1: Sure. My name is Jeffrey Hagerman. I'm uh, a filmmaker based out of New York City. At the moment, uh, I work on set primarily as a cinematographer or an on-set colorist. I also do a lot of high-speed slow motion and uh, work a bit with robots as well.
0: Oh, when did you get into uh, the robot world?
1: Um, I got introduced to that through Sean Brown. He uh, has a company called Motorized Precision. They make two robots I work with pretty regularly, the Kira and uh, the Mia. And uh, that got me into moving cameras with robots and it opened up a whole new world kind of with tabletop and product stuff that I hadn't otherwise uh, considered.
0: So are you also doing like layering and and, uh, obviously that's the point, right, with uh, compositions and whatnot and layers?
1: Yeah, we can do focus stacking, so something that's macro, like the edge or bezel of a phone, we just focus stack that and and get it, instead of F22, get it to be uh, even more photorealistic with uh, more and more depth of field. So you can do a repeatable move over and over, and uh, just map that out with the lighting cues and everything else, and get uh, everything, everything in camera as much as possible.
0: So how much DIT work are you doing then, in general?
1: Um, at this point, I'm doing a, a fair amount of onset color. I uh, just finished a show for ABC called For Life. Um, that was with Fifty Cent. Uh, Curtis Jackson plays a prisoner. I was doing uh, onset color for that, as well as second unit DIC. and uh, I did all the visual effects unit uh, cinematography as well.
0: Well, how did you end up? Uh getting in all of this? I mean, was this, uh, I know it's it's a uh, long road, but did you always have that bend or did you have another
1: uh, Goodness, how did I start? I mean, uh, originally I was uh, going to school for business and then in the summer at University of Arizona, I took a summer job with uh, the health sciences department and uh, we got some money from uh, the state to make some anti-tobacco ads. And one of those first ads I I worked on or helped conceive was uh, a truth ad it got really popular and got some national attention. So that kind of made me think a little bit more about uh, filmmaking as a career. I got accepted to uh, NYU and USC, but I was a little hesitant to drop that kind of money for a liberal arts degree at an 18-year-old. So I also got accepted into Vancouver Film School, which was a school that uh, Kevin Smith went to. Kevin Smith did Clerks and mall Mallrats, and I was really a, a fan of Kevin Smith's work. So Vancouver Film School had a one-year program, and I went up there to Canada and uh, did that and got really hooked on uh, the immersive experience, got to direct, got to shoot as a cinematographer, got to explore all the various roles uh, within uh, filmmaking, and uh, that's really when I got started.
0: When did you realize, and I asked a lot of people this, when did you feel that you turned a corner when you, when you said to yourself, man, maybe I can make a living doing this?
1: I always wanted to do it. I'm not sure. I, I, went, uh, I went early on into music videos, and those were really fun and, and got me a lot of promotion early on, but I didn't ever think I'd be able to pay the bills with those. So uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a, hard, a hard place to draw the line. I've always uh, been inspired by, by images and always wanted to make images. And uh, after the music videos, I got into journalism. And uh, I produced a show called Democracy Now. It's like current events, global news. And uh, while I was there, I covered uh election campaign of Barack Obama and presidential politics. And that was about as much as I wanted to do in journalism. I never had an idea to be a journalist. I just thought it would be interesting to cover American politics. So I went very quickly from uh, journalism to the ad agency world. And uh, I got a job at J. Walter Thompson in-house with them doing post-production. And when I was working in post-production, I realized all these problems I was seeing on these big ads were all happening on set. And I was like, wow, seems like the place to make these decisions or try to get ahead of uh, the curve on some of this stuff is to just be on set. And that really uh, changed my my focus and direction. At that time, the red one just came out and uh, I was really interested not necessarily in the cinematography, but in 3D. I wanted to do uh, stereo 3D and stereo production. So I met up with a a group of people at Off Hollywood, Mark Peterson, Al Day, and uh, a few others. They had a production company here in New York, down in Soho, called Off Hollywood. And they were the first people to have, really, the RED cameras. So I partnered up with them and and learned all the ins and outs of RED and uh, digital production, but also geeked out on the uh, 3D aspect. I always wanted to do 3D or be a stereographer. Unfortunately, that uh, that fad was a little short-lived, and uh, I didn't end up doing all that much 3D. I think the last thing I, I helped work on was Great Gatsby, was, uh, was a decent-sized 3D film that was shot 3D, not post-conformed. post But as 3D went away, I, I had this tool set of uh, cinematography and, and the technical side, and I started working more and more with uh, bigger cinematographers like Janusz Kaminsky or Edmund or Wally Pfister as their uh, set of eyes to help develop their image and help bring uh, what they were seeing into into fruition. And that was uh, as an onset colorist.
0: How did you, did, do you think it's absolutely necessary to balance that with the creative side? Because obviously you need both, but uh, when did you know that you, uh, that technical was such a big part of what you need to know? Because it, it obviously gives you a bigger tool set
1: well on these bigger jobs there's uh it's all about a lighting ratio and really being able to get the most out of that ratio given uh the f-stop or the shutter speed that we're we're going with to be able to capture these dynamic images and i was always just drawn to uh the big pictures and uh the, the tech side came simple to me and uh the the vision was always what struck me so being able to work with these guys and see how they tackle things really helped inform my process myself but when i look back at the technical i go back to ansel adams He had a, a three-part book called the print the camera and the negative and pretty much everything you need to know about the zone system and photography and exposing is uh really covered in uh in those three books that ansel adams came up with Gosh, it's gotta be at least eighty years ago now. And uh that still holds true now to this day with digital cinema cameras having fourteen or sixteen stops of dynamic range, Ansel's breaking down the zone system with negative or reversal film slot or slide film where you had, you know, four stops or three stops at, at best of latitude. So understanding the latitude, understanding uh the emotion that we're trying to get from a scene. Once I have uh, those answers from a director or director of photography, what uh, their core feel is for that scene. It helps me motivate either a look or helps me motivate furthering an aesthetic and uh, really building things around that emotion or building things around that idea that we're trying to focus in on and and capture for the audience. So making informed decisions really uh, the big one for me and uh, the, the technical sometimes fits in there, but I try to make it, as opaque as possible, I try to let uh, let the emotion come through, and then and the technology not take a backseat, but hopefully we can we can see it, and it's it's evident, but they don't need to know the the whole reasons why.
0: Tell me what your um your approach is when so, so as um, because you've been on set as as numerous things when you are asked to be a DIT or, or a colorist, an on set colorist. How soon do they get you on uh, involved in a project?
1: Um. Some- Sometimes uh, with the producer, I'm, I'm brought on before they have a director of photography chosen. Other times, uh, you're working with the network or you're working with the camera company. Uh, I bring up the case of Amazon's The Tick. That was one that Wally Fisker really wanted to use these RED cameras and employ them in a new way to uh, shoot 8K. And uh, he didn't really have that much experience with those cameras. I came in on behalf of RED. We did a pilot and then got those cameras on for... The duration of the show shooting IPP2, which was the new color science, new space. And uh, really, once the, once the director of photography is on board, you're talking with the showrunner, you're talking with the production designer about how uh, th- these new tool sets can, can help us craft a bigger story, whether it's a, a greater gamut space, whether we can use brighter colors, whether we have more field of view, we can see into scenes more. Whether we have greater sensitivity at night with a higher ASA, like the native shooting at sixteen hundred or thirty-two hundred, now we can treat or night exteriors differently. And uh, just to me, it's all about the emotion, what we're trying to bring to uh, to the project. That really gets me excited and gets uh, my mind thinking.
0: How, what, would te- what would you tell? What would a, you tell a director of photography, or how would you work with a director of photography to say, how can you generally like what? What can I do to get you a thicker negative? What can we do to get you a thicker negative or something to work with?
1: Well, that's, that's, that's interesting. I mean, I met uh, Janusz Kaminski actually through a gaffer, through Steve Ramsey, because uh, what we do is so tied together with, uh, with the lighting. And uh, I, I want to work with the gaffer creatively in, in serving the DP's vision. So if he is trying to put a, a, a single or a double in a light, and I'm opening up the highlights, we're, we would be fighting each other. But uh, usually I get on the same page with the, with the gaffer and the director of photography, and we have an idea of what that vision is. A lot of times, more and more recently, it's been using mixed lighting setups and having a lot of uh, a broader palette where we might go 4300 for our exteriors, but rely on heavy sodium vapor and rely on uh, different lighting cues to really sell that added palette added texture that we're trying to get in the shots, but having the ability to have your gaffer and and the colorist be in the same tent looking at the same screen we can really determine should i should i stop down a quarter stop should we we uh, add a sky panel how, how should we address these things that becomes much more immediate when the when the colorist is there on set because I'm gonna, I'm never gonna open things up. I'm always gonna crush the image, as it were. I'm gonna, I'm gonna paint on top of it to preserve the uh, richness and tonality of the negative. I'm not gonna thin out the negative. But we can really engage if we develop that language and get some really dynamic shots, whether it's low light or uh, high contrast situations. We can develop that look and really see it immediately and show the director immediately the result. They're not gonna have to wait till. There in the online or the DI to see that. Another instance would be with the actors and green screens now being able to lay in secondaries and have color that fits the look of the plates in the background for a pre helps the actors see where they are within a space and helps them hopefully uh, get a better performance because they're more aware of what they're acting to or the space that they're surrounded in.
0: There is that there is that um, that that gap, Jeffrey, where people are making films as indies or they're trying to do their own passion projects, and they know they want to make them look good, look good, um, but obviously it can be cost prohibitive to say, well, we're always going to have a colorist on, or even you know uh, a second you know a second uh, a gap assist or whatnot. So, what would you what would you say uh, people can do to make that jump? I'm I, we're believing to get to the next level. You have to involve a colorist either sooner or later, and preferably earlier in the in the process. How would you? How would you? What I like is even if
1: uh, even if you're even if you're not going to have a colorist uh, on set full time, if you work with a colorist in pre production with a look book, that colorist can help you come up with a D log or a LUT that you can use for the duration of your shoot, and that LUT can have uh, a different response curve than uh, normal Rec 709. Or what you'd normally get out of the camera. And once you light to that LUT, then when you go back to your colorist and you're in post-production, you have that extra latitude. You have that extra ability to to maintain what you were thinking about in pre-production. Because the LUT can be built to heighten a, a certain response, whether that's the lighting or to the shadows or just help intonate the mood. So you, you might not have the budget for the colorist on the whole show, but the earlier in the conversation and in production, you start talking with a colorist, the sooner you can have someone on board with helping you either establish or maintain a look. And that really helps add a a level of professionalism to anyone's project, that aesthetic that we're all after. I
0: I think uh, you, you, I think it's common knowledge or not common knowledge that a lot of, a a lot of mid-level filmmakers are always thinking the color should come in at the end. And I think the the valid point here is get them involved early. I think that that seems you know, very valuable.
1: Well, definitely. If you have the chance to even do a couple lens tests with your, your leading actress or with your talent, just set that time aside so maybe we don't have the budget to have a on-set colorist. But if we do a lens test or a lighting test with our key talent, we can set up a look with our colorist, and that colorist could help us whip up uh, a shooting lut or a show lut. And we can use that through the whole show so we know that we have uh, a look that's, that's agreed upon and we also have something that stylistically can inform us during the shoot. The sooner you do that, I think that the, the better you are because the more empowered you are as a filmmaker. We all we all want to make provocative images, but we're all kind of met with the same. The cameras are pretty great at this point. That The difference is going to be in your approach with lighting and lenses and, and with the, the lookup table or with the color. Those are the things as a director of photography, you really have the, the control over. So, uh, use them as, as, as best you can. Cause I think that's really what gives you the ability to set yourself apart.
0: Have you been on projects where, uh, obviously you're involved with the red one very early, as you know, all the cameras that are coming on, uh, with, you know, with the lar- now large format and also, uh, uh, what Black Magic has done, how do you see that also uh, coming into fray that it does what you just mentioned, it really does matter that um, uh, you understand the lighting more than ever because now there's really no place to hide. I'm, all the cameras are, are great now.
1: All the cameras are great now with LED lighting being what it is and we're able to dial in a hue or a, a color that we think looks great on a monitor if we're not aware of, of where that color sits within a gamut space, we might be offering up colors or looks that are really going to affect us deleteriously as we move on. If, if I see a rich, dark, saturated red or a deep purple, that might be out of a gamut space that I'm trying to finish for, for TV or for, uh, you know, for P3, for, for theatrical release. So it really becomes more and more that we have the flex, we need to be more aware of, of the detriments that we could give a signal that's out of gamut or we could audition a color that is going to take us more time to fix later because it's not, not proper, isn't the right word, but oversaturated that it becomes a detriment to, to our, our production rather than a uh, benefit. So I like to be as informed as possible and help everybody make, uh, make the day. When I'm there, I'm trying to, to make sure that there's nothing to look out for that's a mitigating factor when we're on set, whether that's flicker, whether that's knowing, oh, we're going to shoot this scene for six hours. The lighting's going to change. I can't make it look as good as I want it to look with the best daylight. I need to judge this scene by how it's going to look once we do lose that sun and we're still shooting this scene in the shadows, because this scene needs to cut together as a whole piece. So to have a colorist on board and you're thinking, I'm going to talk to the AD, okay, we're we're shooting this scene over the course of six hours. The light is going to change. Having the colorist there to be aware of, of those ins and outs will help you definitely get a more consistent scene given the variables at play. Even though you did lose the light, that scene's going to hopefully cut together in a more cohesive way than if you just went at it uh, without any anyone there backing you up from that end.
0: Are you are you uh, responsible for exposure at all? Are you pulling iris at all?
1: Um, I'm always pulling iris. So with the DPs I work with, they have a, a zone that they want to be in, whether that's a two two eight or a two eight four or a four five six, depending if we're shooting super thirty five or large format or shooting anamorphic. Those are all different depth of field scenarios. So I'm usually calling the filtration, whether it's quarters, half, full, as we go to longer lenses for filtration for actors and actresses, as well as pulling uh, iris and ND, knowing that if we're on a 200 mil lens and there's a walk up to give our AC a break, and we can pull the ND 18, we can go to an ND 9, we can stop down to a five, six, eight split, and we can get that difficult shot on the 200 mil. Being a team player in that area, knowing uh, knowing that you have the trust of your DP really lends you the ability to help everybody make the day and work faster on a 200 mil lens your F8 still going to look pretty shallow that background still going to be a tableau and you're not going to be beating up your first AC trying to get him to hit the marks on a 20 foot move with 2 inches of depth of field I'd rather give him a foot of depth of field and he's still going to have to be a ninja but we're all playing that game together to, to get the shot and make the day so when we can I'm as, I'm as skinny as we can be on on the depth of field, usually with uh, NDs all around, but also cognizant of when do we need that depth of field to hold that shot. Oh, now there's a two shot. Why do we have an ND 12 here? Why don't we have a stop down to a four, five, six split and we can hold this two shot and they can both be in focus. We don't have to rack focus on lines as much things like that can become distracting and once uh, once you're aware where things are at, you're you're able to mitigate those those things. It all comes down to trust. Once you have the trust of uh, the production and the trust of your director of photography, you're really there to represent their vision and uh, and make the day. So that's really what I, I think is the fun part of the position.
0: Do you find yourself working uh, with the same people over and over?
1: Um I think that's just force of habit, but uh it it's you're, you become busy and you become available for certain projects that you don't want to uh, not be around for. So I do make time for for the special directors of photography. I just finished a uh, three year project on the Velvet Underground with Ed Lackman, and that was one where you know there were other jobs in between that, but I would always make myself available or step off or try to be available for that project. The same with uh, the same with. Janusz Kaminski uh, when he calls I I'm I'm a pretty busy person but when he calls I I make myself available because uh, those are usually the special projects, and uh, if they're taking the time to, to request you out of your busy schedule uh, yeah it, it helps to be available or it helps to know who to be available for
0: <laughs> well, I can imagine are there any favorites that you like to do that's a long that's a long show. I know you're on and off of it. When you're on on series, it's great because you kind of know where you're going to be for the next, uh, you know, near future. But uh, do you like commercials? Uh, the the on and off of them, you know, the the shortness of them.
1: Um, in New York, things have changed a bit. So I used to only do commercials, and that was was great for me. And I'd, I'd hang out on those big commercials, but those have become fewer and fewer. So for now I I take up a show. I'm usually on that show for six months at a time and hopefully it's a good show. And if it's a good show, that's going to be back for multiple seasons. So in that sense where the colorist really comes in, is usually on a pilot. I did the pilot for Mr. Robot. I did the pilot for Mozart in the jungle, did the pilot for bull. I did the pilot for, uh, the Tick. These are instances where that, that pilot is going to set the look of the show and then hopefully, if everyone likes the look of the show, they're going to see the position, they're going to see the value of the position, and then they're going to have a DIT or the on-set colorist for the duration of that show. In case of Mr. Robot, that was, what, episode, we're, we're season five or season six? I think so it can six, really seven. Season seven, I think they end. Yeah, so that's an instance where that, that look and that attention can really be drawn out over the course of, of years. In that case, when we're on a stage, though, we we definitely we set up the the look of the two or three protagonists key places. But then it's maintaining consistency of that lighting. So when we're back here uh, four episodes later, there's there's no need for that apartment or that uh, warehouse to look any different than it did in episode one or episode five. So it's maintaining the consistency throughout a larger project like that. And then usually these these shows always have a a component. We're in for five days. We're out for five days. When you're out on location, that's the point that you have to uh, really be more expressive and dig a little bit deeper into uh, your palate, as it were. When you're on stage, you're more just delivering consistency and maintaining what what exposure, what Kelvin, what white balance were we in here when we were here two, two episodes ago? oh, we were—we had our key light at 5,000 Kelvin, I was at 4,300 Kelvin, and we had the sconces on the wall at 3,000. That's the look of that room. Just maintaining that consistency through the length of a season or the, through multiple seasons really helps bring that consistency to the character's world and hopefully further the story.
0: Has there been a favorite project you've worked on recently, or are they all kind of uh-huh. own, your own children, so to speak?
1: They're all pretty great. Um, the one I'm currently on right now is called City on a Hill. That's with Kevin Bacon. It's set as a mid '90s crime drama in Boston. <laughs> so that's been super fun, being able to go up to Boston and film and try to get a period aesthetic. And uh, once Kevin and once the showrunners see that, oh, the the colorist is on set, we can we can create a look. And if you don't like what you're seeing at the monitor you know, talk about it, we can, we can change things and we can really enhance the mood. You know, sometimes that works out great. Sometimes I'm in a bar or a club scene with the DP and we're like, this red lighting's great. And all this looks really good. And the actors are really vibing with it. And then the showrunners see the dailies and they're like, Oh, we didn't really want to go that direction with the red. They know that they have the negative there that is protected enough that we can easily forgo my adjustments that, that heighten the specific mood for a specific look and they can have the protection of knowing that they can go in a different direction all at the same time. Sometimes that happens. I mean, after after the first or second season, you feel like you're there to represent the look of the show. <laughs> but there's always cases where what you think or what the showrunner thinks might be different. So you're always also offering that consistency that the negatives protected. And uh, they do have that latitude to make other choices.
0: Well, I would think uh, looking at a flat image versus looking at something that already is motivated for what it more or less is going to look like, it has to be so valuable. It keeps people hi- highly energized and they know they're just not... You know, a lot of people say, oh, don't worry, it's it's going to be flat. It'll be, you know, we haven't even done anything with it yet. And even on our small sets, well, it, 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 it matters.
1: It's great. Even on even on these big shows, we do a lot of tandem units or visual effects and stunt units. And I might only be able to be on the main unit, but I have the show LUT that I'll load into the cameras or give to the ACs that they can load into their small HDs or into their onboard monitors. So even if I'm not there, the look of the show is still pretty represents. Across scale, when we're doing all these various insert units and second units, and that's that's impressive, and that's something that I really like to like to maintain because it is so much better than just looking at what Rec Seven Hundred Nine would be. I mean, if you do that, you owe it to yourself to just bring a colorist in one day and see what they can offer up because it is such a more polished, refined look that uh, your your client and agent. We'll we'll be sure to be appreciative of because we'll see it pretty immediately. But so many times it's a specific color or it's a specific shade, and if if we can dial that in and show them that consistency throughout a spot, that when they do see dailies from the last five days of shooting, everything looks great everyone's in a better mood everyone's still excited about the project moving forward to that next step in post-production you never want to get into an edit and be like oh my goodness we're, we're we're playing triage already when you're in the edit for me it should be a happy time when you're discovering all those great things in addition to what you wanted to get in your shot list there should be those other extra things that we also got that might not make the edit but uh, they just help show how amazing everyone was and what uh, we were able to capture on the day. I like to just see that because on most of these projects, there's so much that uh, never does get seen by anyone, but, uh, the production company or the editor. And you want to make sure it's all, uh, really reflective of that same caliber, same level of production. And that's what I just try to consistently strive to, uh, bring to the table for, for my clients, for the DPs and for, uh, the brands as well just being able to trust here we are in uh, hong kong we're looking at a totally different monitor they trust that that's the way it's going to look when they get back to london and they're in post there's a lot of science and tech that goes behind that but they're confident that that's what the image is going to look like and i'm uh, really happy to consistently be able to deliver
0: well i don't think we can ad- underestimate how important that is to a client and not only because we've all had that kind of sick feeling, especially when you're captur- on the capture side, going, "Man, did I uh, did I kind of you know shit the bed and it really doesn't look that great." And you know, you have that, or you, you just technically did something wrong, you made a mistake because you had nobody else there, no parachute to help you on set and say, "Hey, um, you, you know your your settings are wrong," and which happens sometimes, especially with smaller productions. Um, and I, I don't think that could be stressed enough. I mean, that, yeah, when I'm
1: there, I'm always an extra set of eyes and just an extra set that there's going to be fires to be put out on the day. But when you come to the monitors and sit down, you're going to look at an image that, first off, you like. Second off, it's, it's the exposure's right where you want it to be. The filtrations all taken care of. You're sitting down to to something that looks good, and now that takes your mind off of the 20 other things you were you were fussing over. And you get to look back and think, well, now what am I going to change? This is looking pretty good. You get to focus your energy and your efforts not on putting out those fires anymore, but on getting even more of, uh, of your best out there. And I think it's a group effort. But uh, once you have a, a colorist on board who, who works with the camera department, it's, it's a benefit for everybody. You can, you can help uh, everyone make the day and, and make it more, more pleasing. I mean, the, uh, the negative is just one aspect, and the workflow is just one aspect. I, I uh, never want to under-consider the negative and how important that is. But uh, I design workflows and usually have a loader, and that loader is managing the workflow to make sure that uh, the data is protected and uh, is, is going to get managed as efficiently as possible. I'm there to try to make sure that we capture this, as dynamic a shot as we can given whatever situation we might find ourselves in. Because uh, there isn't a right or wrong to imaging. When you, when you see a good image, you could, you could hold it up to a child, and the five-year-old is going to pick the good image nine out of ten times. Because <laughs> we all are so saturated with images. We've all seen so many images that we all have this idea in our heads. We might not be able to language it, but we can certainly discern when it's awry and when it's on point
0: so what are you using palm for for your workflow or um, uh, on set? um i
1: use a mix of uh onset i use palm with either a Teradek color or a fuji film is mini another uh aspect or another lut box i use sometimes is Flanders makes something called a box io so the lut box is just something that comes in your image pipeline chain that comes you you get a negative image or a log image out of the camera that log image whether it's log c red dragon color uh c log sony's s log you're going to take that image and then apply your lookup table to it and then on top of that you're going to apply your cdls or your color information and decisions and uh, every step of that needs to track in a, in a in a proper way to represent the work you're doing i don't want to show uh, a look to somebody that can't be recreated easily or I don't want to audition a look for somebody that doesn't fit within the right gamut space or the right color space for their project. If uh I'm showing you stuff that's gonna have to be changed later because I'm showing you Rec seven oh nine but you need to be looking at P3 because we're making a, a movie, I'm I'm not doing anyone a favor. I'm I'm showing you what it could look like but what it could look like out of gamut or in the wrong uh space so i'm always making informed decisions of trying to make it look as good as it can look given uh the parameters that we have in place for our workflow so we always have to maintain that workflow or maintain posts needs, but also maintain as as dynamic and captivating of an image as we can and there might be some cases where if we're consistently going in, in a direction with a specific color or a specific light setup that uh, I need to meet the DP's needs and, and go outside the established workflow, then we need to talk to posts and think about changing our workflow to be more accommodating of uh, these new needs that come up. I'm not going to fight it, I'm just going to bring it to people's attention so they can make more informed decisions. And we can hurry up and make the day. I don't want the DP to be beat up over something that could be simply addressed in a, in a post call. And I don't want the editor to freak out about something that we could easily address on set. And there's there's not many places that you act as that intermediary between these two worlds to make sure everyone in post is is happy and their needs are met and everyone on set happy and their needs are met. But I've been able to find that uh, as the colorist on set really being able to make both these worlds happy and, and, and bridge that uh, gap sometimes that we find between set and post.
0: Well, that sounds like a people skill too, which I think.
1: Oh, definitely. is a long way. Managing expectations. And, and sometimes the expectations aren't real. Sometimes they're very unfounded. You just gotta, gotta address things as they come up and really roll with the punches. You know, I, I used to I used to say when I was a post producer I didn't make I didn't make uh, wrong choices. I only made uninformed decisions. On set you can't really be that cocky, but you, you wanna be making the best decisions you can make given the situation you find yourself in and that helps everybody just get the day done and, and get on to the next one. Sometimes it's those those parameters are outside of our control. But when they're in our control I wanna at least be accountable for them and 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 informed by them because we can we can use even even bad things we can use to our benefit if we're aware of them early on enough we can catch it and we can use it to to really forward what we're going to do you know if if the sun's going away in new york we have a grid we have uh the streets and the avenues and that's why car commercials are so good here because we can shoot one way north to south and then after lunch You know, we flip the key, basically, the sun sets, and we start working east to west. That's something that works out for New York great, just being aware of where those avenues and where those streets are. On location, it can be a little more complicated situating yourself for where the light is going to be best for the time you need it, because once you lose the light, it uh, it really changes from there, and that's something you need to be aware of, too, but... Until we lose the light, how to how to best use it to our advantage? Yeah,
0: you did one Cadillac commercial. I think it was a couple of years ago. Where it looks like the, uh, at the end of the commercial, the car is going into a huge source, which looks like the sun. Was that was that a uh, a huge source or was that the sun? Do you um, remember, that was do you remember.
1: <laughs> those are that's Yanu, So the, that's uh, two Airy Maxes that the Cadillac's going into. But uh, when we don't have the sun, we have we have Airy and uh we'll put the sun wherever it needs to be we just need to make sure a lot of times in those situations i'm shooting a person or i'm shooting a product so everything else can kind of fall off and might be out of the zone as it were but you look at the shot is the person well exposed or is the product captured the way it needs to be that's really what's informing me at the heart of the image is is are we looking after the person and the product and are we using these these contrasts and lights to our ability to help tell the story. And that story, sometimes selling a product, sometimes it's selling an emotion, sometimes it's selling that character and their their third act of tribulation, but it all uh, it all goes forward to something and, and we can really see the results on the, on the screen when we do make uh, captivating images.
0: Are you graded in uh, ACES and what do you think the future is of ACES?
1: I love the uh, ACES as the Academy color encoding system. I really have uh, been a big proponent of ACES and I think that uh, it's really a future-proof platform. What I like about ACES most is that the container for ACES contains more visible colors than the human eye can see. So to me that really shows how future-proof the Academy has has made their system that we might get changes in technology, we might get changes in sensors and and changes in display technology but the biological limitation with aces has been put on the individual or the person and aces is, is a space that can contain more information than human beings can currently process so that's why it's a fun one for me and i think now with resolve integration you can set your project settings to aces and you can grade in aces and really, the benefit is is being able to make one set of color corrections. You're you're grading for one thing, and then your deliverables can have a different a different OETF or a different export for web, export for phone, export for TV. Those all become secondary processes. You're not having to go back and fully regrade that with a, a trim pass. With ASUS, it's it's all there and. Uh, I really look forward to more people adopting ACES and understanding how we work in a, in a linear environment for me, log C and S and log can be kind of the technicalities get buried in the white papers and you need to know those technical numbers. If I need to know what 18% gray is in ACES, I know it's 0.18. I mean, there's nothing easier than that. in a, in a linearized scale, I I can, much more easily understand where things fall and uh, help make quicker, more informed choices. So I love ACES. Uh, it's not for every project. A lot of times Post has their own needs or their own requirements. So I'm I'm playing second, uh, second backup to Post. But if they have a pipeline that they want to use ACES for, I'm uh, a big proponent because I can very easily get uh, the DPs needs can be in in that space very easily. Sometimes with more convoluted workflows, IPP2 or this or that, it can be more bogged down, but uh, uh, end-to-end Asis show is uh, super fun and super easy to manage.
0: Was I the only one who had to, and I'm still uh, wrapping my head around IPP2 to to kind of figure out that whole workflow um, uh, when that came out I, I it's almost like there were so many choices that, you you know, for, for, a, for a DP or, or a, a cinematographer that you really needed somebody with the expertise to kind of, you know, navigate through all that.
1: To really bring you through it at least once to, to show you what's available to, to yourself. Because all these, these choices bring about not limitations, but they can just set off a cascade of other choices that you might not even be aware of. So to mitigate that that downstream cascade of effects, it helps to be prepared early on in making those key decisions on what is our workflow gonna be and are we gonna try to use the newest, latest technology that's gonna get the most out of this camera? Or, are we gonna be more conservative? I'm always out there, always trying to push things. So I think any advancement in technology, Merit's looking into, I didn't have a problem with Red red Dragon color science. I loved it. I worked on a show called Daredevil. I thought Red Dragon color in uh, 6K looked amazing. When IPP2 came out, I reassessed what I thought amazing was. And IPP2 is that next step, that wider gamut, those more richer tonalities. It's uh, more detail in the black, more consistency in the color palette. And uh, now I, I... I really struggle to think of a job that I haven't done in IPP2 when I've been red recently. It's all pretty much been IPP2 or uh light iron color in the case of the Panavision DXL.
0: What a camera that is too, because I, I think people were either in the area red camp and, and, and again, at the end of the day, it's making great images. I love them all. I
1: mean, I was fortunate enough to be a beta tester for uh, the DXL when it first came out. So I used that camera for two years before anyone else had really heard about it or gotten their hands on it. And what I was able to, to do in those two years, I think reflective of where that camera system is now, it's, it's a fully realized system that's out there making really dynamic images. And, and it's more than a RED. But now that RED's come out with their, their Ranger platform, you have much more functionality built into those bodies. Panavision just made a camera that uh, they saw the assistance needs were not being met in the TMC squared body. And they just incorporated a lot more R&D and design into what they wanted their body to be. And I think uh, it's more than welcome on set to have all that integration at your fingertips, whether it's internal focusing or it's your lens motors or it's the ability to go from – 8k to 4k or 6k and and window down to get high speed and higher frame rates those those cameras are just they meet uh, all all my needs for, for what a camera should do
0: now when you I have always wondered when you go to uh, you, do you ever watch movies at all on it, it, actually at the uh, at the theater and can you can you tell what cameras are or what's going on there most of the time beside what with Are you able to see that Seeing so many images over the years
1: A lot of times you, you know what they're shot on You're I'm lucky enough to Go to the DGA and see the Oscar screeners, you go to Dolby Theater And see uh, the Academy screeners uh, In the highlights Sometimes you can tell what's where uh, Every Everything else is, is, is pretty evenly matched But in certain instances You can definitely see uh, Certain cameras' highlight fall off slightly different than others but uh all in all in 2020 they're all great cameras they're all making amazing images i feel like
0: so what's in the future for you what's coming up
1: um i'm finishing up this show which is going to be city on a hill season two i think it'll probably come back for a season three i'm probably just more interested in focusing on uh doing dp work myself at this point i love to color but i've reach the limit of, of who I color for, and, and they're happy with what I do. And I'm kind of ready to not hang that up, but just continue applying those principles I've learned from the people that I've worked with, and uh, continue to just make my own images or start making more of my own images, as it were. I've always uh, dp myself. But it's been much more ancillary on uh, the scale of things compared to what I've been able to do as a colorist. But now with those connections at play and what I've seen, I think that's what I want to do is just uh, keep shooting.
0: Well, that's good to know that after all these uh, experiences, you're still not, you know, you're still not tired of it, which is a great thing. Uh, Well, uh, Jeffrey, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate your time.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun uh, getting together and talking about uh, imaging with you.
0: And where do we find you?
1: Uh, I'm currently based in New York. I'm a member of Local 600, and uh, that's the International Cinematographer's Guild. Uh, I'm loosely on Facebook. Other than that, uh, you probably see images I've, I've shot or been involved with uh, on a pretty daily basis, whether you know it or not.
0: <laughs> well, thanks for coming on.
1: Definitely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a
0: great time. And that was Jeffrey Hagerman. Thank you very much for Jeff coming on the show. I look forward to talking to all of you very soon. And please remember to stay indoors and social distance, but not social isolate. I think that's very important. Keep your spirits up until next time. Stay safe.